When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Discourse on the Playlist Podcast Network, the show where we discuss film news, reviews, and any other pertinent pop culture items. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today I have a wonderful guest, returning guest. She is the director of programming for the Austin Asian American Film Festival and the co-host of the No Excuses podcast, Jenny Nolf. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you for (laughs) taking the time to uh, jump on this episode. Uh, Today, we will be discussing the two big movies that came out during the 4th of July holiday weekend. Uh, we will be discussing Spider-Man Far From Home and Midsummer, the latest film from Ari Aster. But before we dive into that, a little bit of housekeeping first. The Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it iTunes, be it Stitcher, be it Spotify, which we are on now. And you will get this show as well as our other shows, including Adjust Your Tracking, uh, Be Real, Indie Beats, and the various interviews that pop up on our feed from time to time. So with that out of the way, uh, we're going to go ahead and bypass a recommendation section for this episode because we have a lot to talk about with the two movies in question. So we're just going to dive right into it. Um, We will start with Spider-Man Far From Home, which was the major box office behemoth of, of the 4th of July holiday weekend. It raked in. I believe almost 190 million for its six day opening. Uh, it is a sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming and the 23rd film, I believe, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which you have not seen Homecoming, Jenny, correct? Uh, actually, no, I haven't. But I've seen every other Spider-Man movie. That is literally now the only one I haven't seen. Which um, it's not a popular opinion uh, to hold, but I think you're OK not having seen it. Uh, homecoming um i i'm personally not a huge fan of that movie but um the but the newest one is out um it's sort of a um breezy i guess breezy would be the way to describe it sort of a palate cleanser after the gargantuan cacophony of avengers endgame um and i will let's just just let's dive into it um so you went and saw this movie what did you think of it you know it's really cute and it's very charming. And outside that, I didn't have much feelings for it. I feel like all of the superhero slash Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff was still kind of dull and exhausting for me. But all the teen romance and comedy bits in the film were extremely enjoyable. And I think they have a great cast. And I think that the humor lands really well. Everything about Jake Gyllenhaal and Mysterio was kind of cool on, and all of the superhero aspects to it, that was kind of um, jump-starting, I guess, phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was, like, fine about... It wasn't the worst, it wasn't the best, it was kind of a middle ground. Oh, sure thing. Like, all that stuff, the universe building for future movies, I'm not as interested in... Um, and we, we kind of discussed that on the Avengers Endgame podcast, in terms of, like... Um, like where could the series actually go as far as like building a universe because you've done Thanos you can't really do another big team up like that again like it, you just can't do it you'd have to do Galactus or something like that Um, which I'll refer to the uh episode where we discussed Endgame if you want to go back and listen to that for people who are listening but um, no I, I pretty much agree I do think I liked it just a tad bit more but um, it's funny because Homecoming, it, like the cast is incredible, and that's what works for me about that movie. 
but the humor in that one felt like really forced to me and the uh action in that movie definitely left a lot to be desired as most of these ones do um but the director john watts returned for this movie and this movie just felt a lot more confident it felt he he felt more at ease behind the camera i feel like because some of the action is clunky some of it is really well okay i won't say some of it but there are two sequences in particular they're not really action sequences but they're visual sequences that i was pretty impressed by and i can't really go into details as to why because that would be a spoiler but um i thought like that was impressive the humor felt a lot more natural and the cast just really carries over to this movie. I mean, Tom Holland and Zendaya are fantastic. I, I really liked Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie. I thought he was one of the more enjoyable uh, villains that these movies have had. And uh, yeah, overall, I, I had a good time with it. And I was kind of surprised because as much as I dug the cast, I, I wasn't crazy about Homecoming, but I, I went for this movie a lot more than I did the last one. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Um, I think that when Marvel thrives is when they understand that the film that they're making is kind of in a subgenre of its own. And I mean, that, that varies from film to film as well, but I feel like this one kind of had a, a it felt, it had momentum as a teen movie. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of what like people went for in Homecoming as well, because since it was set solely in the high school and it was set around um, Homecoming dance, it had that sort of John Hughes feel to it, um, which again, it's charming. And um, I think this movie definitely pushes that a little bit more. And it, it works as a, as a teen comedy because it's it's just, uh, yeah, it's really pleasant and really sweet. As an action movie, it's definitely a mixed bag for sure. Um, as I already mentioned, there were a couple things I really, really dug about it. Um, another aspect I'm going to try and tiptoe around it is I like the idea that the movie almost, almost points fun in a way about the sort of like, bland over cgi effects in these marvel movies which i kind of appreciated that they they did that uh to a certain extent again i'll kind of keep that mum but i know you know what i'm talking about um i enjoyed that about it as well i think i know what you're talking about and while i didn't actually connect that i can see where you would connect that (laughs) um yeah i feel like when what I did also enjoy about it is as a post-Endgame film, which I was really cool on Endgame. I didn't really like it that much. I found the humor with, like, the teens going back to school and then, like, you know, kids that were five years younger than them now either being their age or, like, their siblings are now older than them. That kind of dynamic of, like, a younger kid coming back and being a younger kid still while all of your other counterparts have either grown up or, like, you know, you have different, like, classmates – is really, really fascinating. And I think that they also play with it enough to make it kind of feel like a lived-in world and not as serious. Because the Marvel movies at the end of the day aren't extremely serious, which is where I think Endgame kind of fails. And I I just thought it was a really nice, like, play on that post-Endgame atmosphere and world that they're trying to build now. Oh, absolutely. And I think that it works so certainly works in its favor. And I think the other thing that works in its favor works in its favor as far as like the serious Infinity War endgame elements is I, I think one of the one of the things that was on the stronger end of those movies, or at least the more believable end, um, was the sort of like pseudo father son relationship between Tony Stark and Peter Parker. And I mean that movie and that plays heavily into this movie which also plays into the like the best strength of a good Spider-Man movie. A good Spider-Man movie is like Peter Parker having to balance being a high school kid with being this superhero with gifted powers. Um, and that's always the most enjoyable, most human aspect of the movies. And so I like that plays heavily into this movie. And I think to, to its favor, I, th- I think it gets, it gets some, it definitely does get some at least emotional mileage out of the, one of the arcs that was actually done well in, in the previous movie. Yeah. I wish I had that um, history with the film. I get it from like a large standpoint of seeing most of the Marvel movies at this point, but I also don't feel it as much. And what I felt more in this one 
was the pressure for him to kind of rise up and be, I guess, Spider-Man is supposed to be the next Iron Man. That's kind of what we get from the movie, which I, I don't know if that, I mean, that's, I think that's what they're hinting at. I don't know if I like that or not, but that's certainly what they're trying to do. I feel like. I don't know if I love that either because I feel like the core of Spider-Man and what made him kind of a very interesting character, at least in the first phase or um, in phase three up until like Avengers Endgame was that he wasn't a huge superhero and that he could go home and hang out with his friends. But I feel like if you have to make him like the next like center of the Avengers, because we're like looking for somebody I get right now that they are kind of looking for somebody like, wouldn't it be Captain Marvel technically? Cause she, First off, <laughs> her name. But second, it, she is all-powerful. You would think, but at the same time, she's, you know, the, the we talked about this in the Endgame podcast as well, the, the writing convenience of having her go and work other planets because they don't have the Avengers, quote-unquote. Um, so, it, I mean, it seems like the way they've built that character that she wouldn't want to do that. Um and not necessarily that Peter Parker wants to do that either, but I, I think because of the popularity of Spider-Man and because they built that relationship between those two characters, that's what they're trying to do. But I don't think, truth be told, I don't think this universe needs another, like, doesn't it doesn't need a centerpiece character. Um, I don't think, because as I mentioned before, I don't think you need to build to some an, another big, like, climactic thing having these characters pop in in and out of other people's movies from time to time i think is fine but just focus on these solo stuff i don't think the universe this universe doesn't need another iron man because it had an iron man so i i don't like that idea of like just let spider-man be spider-man like he's relatable because he's this blue collar superhero from queens who just happens to have superpowers just let him let him be that yeah i kind of agree and that, like, whole plot, or, like, I guess, like, overarching plot of, like, the entire series doesn't really interest me as much as it, as him being in school, interacting with his friends, and kind of trying to hide his superhero-ness, which ends up being interesting at the end. Um, yeah, I, I just like that part so much more than I like everything that's in the cog of the machine of this giant universe that used to excite me a lot and now just exhausts me because I feel like I have to go and watch every single one of them to see this giant movie that everyone will be talking about and I feel like everyone always convinces me to go see them and they hype them up and then I'm just like I walk out of them like this one where I was like oh yeah that was adorable I liked that I wish I didn't pay for that <laughs> no I hear that I I, I... I think, again, I'm warmer on that, but I think that the sentiment is there. I don't, I'm right there with you in that I don't care about the universe stuff as much as I do certain individual characters. And these movies don't excite me, nourish me as a moviegoer the way they used to. I don't feel that, like, that kind of giddiness that uh, I think a lot of people feel from these movies. But credit where credit's due on Far From Home, I, I did a little bit just because I, I at least as a kid, as a big fan of spider-man i never thought they'd do mysterio because it's just too weird a concept i feel for them to do it and uh and they did it in this movie and i thought they did it pretty well and in a way that made sense uh and i think i thought Jill and hall was great and a lot of fun so I, I did at least get some giddiness seeing mysterio on the big screen but outside of that it, it was like yep the the character stuff the the humor, the teen comedy stuff, great. The action, yeah, yeah, it's it's serviceable, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're yeah. right. <laughs> I, I yeah, the action. Well, I mean, the action, it's serviceable is what every Marvel movie is when it comes to action. It's not really you don't go to it to see like some kind of spectacle. I guess some people do, but like when I think about spectacle in like an action film, I think of like the likes of John Wick. Or something like that. Yeah. Where I can actually see the action and it's kind of choreographed really beautifully and something more around that. Where I feel like, and we've talked about it in podcasts before, I know, but not in this one particularly though. But like 
the gray and kind of unclear CGI that's murky and I don't really know what's going on. I mean, I can see what's going on, but it also like moves so fast and cuts so quick and everything is like the same sort of grayness. I'm I'm kind of over it. Yeah, no, I'm pretty much in agreement there. And um yeah, it's it's like it's like most of them it's fun. Um maybe forgettable in some ways, but um but yeah, it was a good time. Do you have any other thoughts on Far From Home before we move on? I mean, if I was being specific about like thoughts, uh Zendaya and Tom Holland, I think have wonderful chemistry and are really funny together. I agree. Like I I love their sort of sense of humor and her just like insistent sarcasm which is wonderful and then like nice little reveals behind the sarcasm uh towards the end of the movie that feel very sweet and very earned um which is nice because often there are emotional beats that are not earned in these movies i mean not often but like it happens and so it was nice to have that like actually pay off in a way that felt uh like warm and satisfying yeah, I agree. Also, maybe best cool. Spider-Man kiss in a movie. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. Most realistic, awkward, high school realistic uh, kiss, too. Um, no, I, th- I, 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 I love that. I mean, it will never... I've accepted a long time ago. Spider-Verse came very, very close, though. But I accept, I accept a long time ago that there won't be, a, to me, a better Spider-Man movie than Spider-Man 2. So I'm just kind of like, I'm just in it for the ride at this point. I'm like, I don't expect it to blow the doors down, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was fun. So, um, yeah, those are our thoughts on Spider-Man far from home. Um, it is out in wide release and you can definitely see it. And a lot of you have seen it, but, uh, if you haven't, it's, it's a good time. Speaking of, well, I guess, your mileage may vary on whether our next film is a good time or not, but let's uh, let's move on to Midsummer, the um, latest film from Ari Aster, his follow-up to Hereditary, which is a movie that you and I both liked quite a bit, if I'm not mistaken. Oh well, at least a little bit more than Spider-Man. <laughs> well, yes, no, no, I meant like her. I meant Hereditary. Oh, sorry, I yeah, I tuned out for a minute. Um, yes, Hereditary, I did like quite a bit. Yes, no, I, I did as well. It was, uh, I, I don't remember if it was in my top 10 or not last year, but it was certainly in the conversation. It was in there somewhere in the mix. Um, so I was very, very looking forward to what Ari Aster did next. Um, I'll read the plot synopsis from IMDb for this. Uh, a couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled midsummer festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Definitely a lot of shades of Wicker Man in this movie, among others. Um, but overall, Jenny, um, I'm sure you had some some sort of anticipation, expectation going into this movie based on Hereditary. Um, so overall, what did you think of Midsummer? I did have some expectation going in because of Hereditary, but also I guess the expectation kind of came more from the fact that I think the trailer, at least the second one for this movie, was very good. And I liked the idea of exploring a breakup in a horror movie uh, a lot. And the aesthetic and like the, all the shots that they picked in the trailer, the being outside and very sunny and bright. I was intrigued by this kind of horror movie because we don't actually get horror movies that are this like bright and vibrant. Not really. No, I'm trying to think of like other ones, like kind of big horror movies movies that are set during the day um I, I the original hills have eyes a lot of it's during the day um texas chance on massacre a lot of it's during the day as well but those are really the only two i can think of off the top of my head immediately but um yeah the imagery in this movie is in- incredibly striking and um the, has this like weird ethereal beauty to it but also just kind of dread inducing and terrifying throughout the whole thing um, I, yeah, I had some expectations going into the movie as well, but I also was like, um, I won't bury the lead. I'll personally say I probably didn't go for this movie as much as I did hereditary, but they're two vastly different movies that share the same filmmaker. Um, 
but that doesn't mean that I didn't like it. I thought the movie was quite good. Um, and the breakup movie aspect, I mean, sun, sunsets, uh, daylight breakup movie released by a 24. It's certainly better than the other one that came out earlier this year. Um, that being under the silver lake, I had to get that jab in somewhere. Oh, um, God, I didn't even think about that as a breakup movie, but yes, it is not a good breakup movie. <laughs> no, no, it is not. Uh, this one certainly is. And, and it's just, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating. And I'm, I'm really intrigued seeing people's, reactions in terms of like the relationship that either they're in at the time or were in at one point and like how people's relatability and how the process this movie is different and um and it's not really like i i wouldn't even say that's like the subtext of the movie like all the gaslighting and the the like that aspect like it's pretty much their front and center um and i i, I kind of actually appreciated that like this movie I don't feel um, like, uh, for example, I mean, I'm not to uh, call out call out his review, but uh, Rodrigo's review over here at the playlist was, uh, you know, mentioned that the movie was uh, opaque, like compared to us in that way. And um, I personally didn't agree with that, even though I totally see where he's going. I feel like this movie was very straightforward in that sense. Yeah, when it comes to the breakup, I think that that is the heart and soul of the movie. I would love to watch this movie again because I know what I'm. The only thing I'd be curious about is, like, I know Hereditary had certain, you know, other symbolism and things going on in the frame, uh, to that ultimately lead to the conclusion of that movie. But I also feel like that's vastly that's just vastly different. I feel like everything on this movie that's happening is, is deliberate. I don't, I just don't, I don't feel like there's a lot of secrecy to like to figure it out, so to speak. Yeah. And I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I think that Me neither. where a lot of horror movies do thrive is in a sense where a lot of it is subtext that you have to read, but that's a lot it has a lot more to do with just the way that films were made and how horror began and like a lot of the queer horror subtext having to be subtext because you couldn't put it out there in the forefront. I, I don't see it as a big deal that the theme of the movie is out there in the open for you to kind of grasp and watch because the whole point of this film is watching Florence Pugh's character. who I cannot remember her name at the moment. Um, go through these motions of trying to figure out her name's Danny. If her boyfriend Christian is right for her after this tragic, tragic accident. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like some like big mystery it's out there. And the, the tension derives from the fact of whether or not these two people who clearly shouldn't be together, uh, are going to stay together or not, or just like, you know, go to the point where they should have ended it a long time ago, but because of this horrible thing that has happened, it, it hasn't happened. Um, yeah, I, I find all that fascinating. I think my personally, if we want to like dive into it a little bit, and this may be like a pretty like surface level complaint, I think my only sort of um, stonewalling or, or hesitation to be as excited as most people have been about this movie, it's been pretty rapturously received in our circles is um i i uh, i do feel the length of this movie a little bit and i think that's my only qualm is like it it's not the fact that it's long it's just there are sections while gorgeous while ari aster such like has command of the camera and where to place it and showing you exactly what you need to see at any given time holding on shots and and awkward moments for way long like to the point of it being dreadful and uncomfortable i just i do feel that it could have been a little bit tighter and a little bit shorter and it would have had the same uh impact that the conclusion has i can see that for me it's almost a similar complaint but not exactly the same because i felt like the length didn't actually bother me what it was is that after the first and second act i kind of lost a lot of the interest of like the pagan rituals and 
all the things like that because Florence Danny's character who is the only voice of reason for most of the film except for the two people who um are from London I don't understand why she never tries to leave and I guess it's because she's going through something and kind of in this depression state which I understand to an extent but if people are dying around you and you have a strong feelings about that I wouldn't necessarily be going off and trying to still stay and so I think that in the third act a lot of her choices and her decisions kind of just made me exhausted a little bit with the movie um but outside that it has nothing to do with the length for me though but it felt kind of not long but more dull towards the end even though that's when it ramps up and she's on her drug trip I agree and maybe we could pivot to some spoilers here shortly but before we do that all of that and the fact that um, I'm trying to figure out how, the best way to put this because just because something is like something we've seen before does not make it invalid or like not good, quote unquote, because, you know, artists take from the things that inspire them all the time and regurgitate it and reform it into something interesting. That's not a bad thing at all. But it did, because, but I don't feel like the movie took another quite another step in that climax of movies of this ilk that we've seen before to really like I, like I like it it became boring because you knew what was going to happen I guess is like the uh in a way um and I totally agree that it's not kind it's kind of slightly spits in the face of what Danny's character had been doing the entire movie before that. Um, and I know I'm talking in circles here and I, I uh, apologize. I'm just trying to get, get my words straight, but it just, uh, it, it, it felt, yeah, it felt a little lackluster just from the standpoint of like, this ends a certain way. They do tinker with some things, but it's like, this only really ends one way and we know how it ends. And it just kind of like, yeah, it becomes it becomes a little less interesting in the last act, which is strange because I think that's what most people are talking about. Yeah, that is strange because that's exactly where I, I feel like I was like so on board with the film in the first act, especially where we're not even in Sweden, where we're dealing with Danny and her trauma of her family dying um, unexpectedly. And I've read a few people getting like, held up on the family dying and wanting to know about that more but I feel like you get enough information in that area to satisfy and then it's about her kind of trying to navigate her own life post her family's death with this giant trauma feeling all these depression and I love that first act where kind of like you see the beginnings of something that's gonna just shatter her world And in the second act, exploring Sweden and this uh, pagan cult, which I cannot remember what it ends up being called, um, where they are. But in this small, very secluded town in Sweden, very traditional town, I I liked exploring that. But then when it all kind of tries to come together at the end, it doesn't necessarily come together for me. And it just felt dull, boring, predictable is actually a very good word because you know that I mean, at one point in the movie you're like, oh, no one's escaping. <laughs> right, yeah, it's very clear that you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I no know There is no chance of escape. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I think that's a good point to pivot to a spoiler section here. The only thing I will say before we do that is after I watched this movie, I had to text my dad because uh, on my grandmother's side uh, are, are of Swedish descent. And so I'm <laughs> like, has, has any of our family been a part of any uh, pagan rituals by chance? Um, so I had, to, I had to at least get clarification. And, uh, to my knowledge, no, but the jury is still out. Um, but let's go ahead and swing two spoilers for Midsummer, starting right now. Oh, I've heard of this flick. There's a twist in it, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Just just try and forget that. And hopefully we'll still be able to enjoy it. I bet he's a woman, that bloke. No. You think it's the future, but it's actually set in the past. It's not Earth. It's all a dream. Oh, could you not? Could you? Could you not try and guess what the twist is? 
Um, yeah, the only, I mean, I guess to go to the end, because that's kind of the, the big thing that, that we're talking about here, is that it, the only thing that was, I feel, subversive isn't the right word, but the only thing that, like, threw me through for a loop was how was that going to happen? Like, how, like I didn't know that, we clearly didn't know going in that she actually ch- chose who was going to be sacrificed and decided to choose Christian. That that got me back on board, admittedly, even though I have to agree with you from the standpoint of like she up until this point had been the only voice of reason and then all of a sudden decides to stay. But then again, she'd been drugged. So it's like, uh, I, I guess you're towing the line there a little bit. But but uh, as far as like the the reveal of us finding that, you know, all of their friends and the British couple have been uh, m- murdered and sacrificed in horrible ways is like pretty obvious. And, and like that, that in and of itself is like not shocking or interesting. Um, but the revelation of her actually choosing who she gets to sacrifice in the end did get me back on board. It does. And I liked that. There's not much that I like overtly disliked about this movie. It's just, it never grabbed me either i think at the end of the day and i think when she chooses christian to be killed i mean it's so obvious he is a shitty guy and it she clearly has over him what a bad and terrible breakup uh and place to have a breakup but even then i i think i just wanted more with at that point, the other people, because I hated Christian so much, or mm. I, I, there's just something that's not fleshed out in this movie for me that made everything connect and make everything feel like compelling to watch and feel brand new. And I really, and, that, and I've tried to think about it and I've tried to put, like put my finger on it, but it's just, I think it's just a fine movie. And that's okay. Like, I feel the same way where it's like, you know, we we've probably talked about this off mic where there's uh, every once in a while like there's a movie that comes out and like either you're not on the hype or i'm not on the hype or both of us aren't like on the hype and we're like are we broken is there something is there something wrong here (laughs) um but i don't think that's the case because midsummer the thing that i like about it was kind of what i referred to earlier in that i in the like i don't think this movie's opaque it is you know it is playing with it's using the conventions and and relying on them the conventions that we already know and it's executing them in a way that's solid and again well directed and it's like and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a home run it could just be a fine art house more than fine a good solid art house horror movie and like is that okay i think it is i think that's okay for it to just be good it doesn't have to be a masterpiece uh, or what, you know, whatever gets taken for a pull quote. Um, It doesn't have to be that. And I don't think the movie is, and I wouldn't put that burden of expectation on it. No, I think it's totally fine that we're sitting here going like, yeah, it's solid, but something isn't clicking. Like it doesn't go to that next level that like, I think a great horror movie that you and I would deem great, like gets to like, they're, they're just, there's another layer missing somewhere. And on its surface, it's solid, but there's just something missing. Yeah, and I've tried to pin it down. I've thought about a few things. One being, well, I was actually listening to a podcast earlier today to try to kind of collect my thoughts on this movie and, like, why I'm not, like, like either hating it or loving it, which seems to be the two camps that people are in. Um, It's pretty divisive. But the director, Ari Aster, was saying on the podcast that, oh, his original cut of the film was three hours and 40 minutes. And then there was a part of me that was like, oh, my God, I want to see that cut. Because I felt like there there, I would have loved to see stuff be fleshed out a little bit more as far as the pagan rituals, like, went or, like, some of the characters exploring. Like, I was curious if in that three-hour, 40-minute cut you actually got to see how people died and how they were killed. I know that would take away from Danny's um, journey, but there's a part of me that also felt like it took away from the cult and the ritual of it all to not be able to see how they murdered most of the people. Right, and I, like I get, I get that, like I get that in theory, 
like why they why he chose to do that and i liked that the idea of just keeping the perspective within um within what the characters are seeing at any given time um because it's like you know i know I think there's been a lot of articles going around about like the movies that influence this movie. And one of them mentioned is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it'd be something like that where it's like, you know, we only see the Sawyer family attacking them at uh, any given person's viewpoint. It's like, we don't cut away to something that doesn't directly involve them. But I mean, I guess at the same time, these characters were following. So that doesn't, that actually doesn't add up. So no, I would like, I would actually, be interested in that because there just isn't there isn't a sense uh i mean there's a sense there's a sense of foreboding but it doesn't like i don't know it doesn't scare me it does fill me with dread but it's like but to what end i i don't know i'm having i'm still having a hard time putting my finger on it but i do i would be interested to see and i mean not that a lot of blu-rays do this anymore but i'd love to see some deleted scenes or see like what was cut from this movie um or, or what they chose to not show and then show instead yeah the fact that there's an hour of footage that he chose to cut which bravo for him being able to cut that much of his own story out of a film that's a lot of work um and i also heard on the pod heard on the podcast that he was actually editing this movie down to the last minute. It basically was just finished like a couple weeks ago. Maybe that also has something to kind of do with it. Uh, but I think you're right. And I think the thing is, and it comes down to this, and I was thinking about this when you were talking, is that while we're on this journey with Danny, at the same time, world building isn't happening as fleshed out as it usually is in these kinds of movies. And you get the sense of dread, but also... I think for this movie, the kind of the selling point is the world that they're in, like of this cult. And you just don't feel like you understand it as well. Um, but I will say one of the best scenes in the film is the cliff scene where the elderly couple commits suicide and you have like the London Londoners like, no, I, I we want to leave now. This is insane. But then you have the Americans, um, minus Will Poulter's character, because he went to go take a nap. Uh, <laughs> you see it through Danny's eyes, and she's kind of dazed a little bit, uh, triggered by this. But then you hear Christian, who's just like, oh, he's a little disturbed, but also disturbed to a point where he's morbidly fascinated, as well as Josh's character, who is accepting of this this kind of ritual because he already knew about it. He had read about it before. Um, so you have like these weird different dynamics of like strangers in this like really interesting scene. And I just wanted more of something like that where you get to see the dynamics of this group reacting versus like an offhanded thing. Like, Oh, there's a pubic hair in my pie. And then everyone going, Oh, gross. And then just like moving on. Yes. I, that's it. You've, you've helped, you've helped unpack this. And I really appreciate it when we did this podcast. Man. <laughs> That's the thing. Well, I was just thinking, because I was thinking of, like, uh, the other, another obvious point of comparison uh, is the Wicker Man, the original Wicker Man. Um, though there is a bear in this, which I feel like was a nod somewhat to the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. That was a very um, good joke with the bear, by the way, in this movie. <laughs> Are we gonna mention the very... bear and then like the camera I... pans? <laughs> that was good. That's what, oh oh. So before I want to say what I was gonna say, we should mention this movie's like quite funny, and that act surprised me because Hereditary, as strong as it is, is so morose and so somber that, and this movie is like it's funny, and it's funny because it, and it's like uncomfortable funny because the characters are like trying to sort of make jokes to cope with what that they're strangers in a strange land essentially. Um, so I like that aspect. But yeah, I think of The Wicker Man where it's like you saw so much more engagement with uh, the people of the village and you saw more engagement and like and granted that was a detective character. But like you still got more of a sense of how that community operates while also being off put and confused and like kind of the, the, that foreboding sense of dread. 
and this this does the dread, but it's like I don't know how this community operates or anything like that. And so therefore it's like, yeah, I guess I feel for these characters in a way that there's a certain relatability, but there's also just like, what's, what are we afraid of here? Because we, you know, we, we haven't seen it um, right. until, until you need, until you, the movie decides that you need to see it towards the end of the movie. So that it's, it goes back to that thing of just like not taking that next step. I agree. And I feel like this happens in a lot of cult movies, oddly, where you see you you have this like sense of like bad that obviously this small community, they don't operate the same way we do. They do human sacrifices. It's not cool. It's kind of terrifying if you're a stranger. You see this in the ritual. You see this also in, oh, what is that cult movie that Ty West did that starts with an S? Um Oh, the sacrament. The sacrament. You see it in those types of movies, which sacrament is also a broad daylight scary movie. So there's another one. Uh, Yeah, that is true. That is true. I just thought about that. And it's also a cult movie, so they have a lot in common. I feel like a lot of cult movies, and I know you think, I think you like The Wicker Man a little bit more than me, but they all feel that like same kind of almost exploitive in nature and you don't get to understand why these people do what they're doing they just have been doing it for centuries and this is just what they do and it for me that doesn't ring like as something that's scary to me well no there's just an inherent sense of xenophobia to it but not bit. yeah for sure but like not not in a way that it's commenting on it it, it seems more like and I mean, I I love the Wicker Man just because it, I I think it's done like its Odyssey is done well, but it doesn't really like you know it doesn't use the xenophobia in a way that like I don't know like a Romero zombie movie does like it doesn't like critique on it. it it's more just like oh look at this freak show isn't this weird and scary? Um, I mean it's it's certainly more delicate than like say. What's the sh- shitty Eli Roth one? Um, oh, well, I mean, the I guess cannibalism. The, um, green. Green Inferno. Inferno. Yeah, yeah, like that. One. Like it's not as like offensive as that movie or anything like that. But it, it there is certainly a aspect of like exploration that is like sorely lacking. I and in a lot of these cult movies, I I would tend to agree with you there where it is it is uh you know it's it's playing on our xenophobic fears but doing nothing to really subvert any of those fears which could be seen as potentially problematic yeah i think so but and i don't think this movie outright is trying to be exploitive especially after listening to ari aster speak i think he's really really respectful of these communities and these traditions as well but when you don't flesh out your characters that are within these communities, even um, the character that brings over all the Americans, I cannot remember his name. Uh, oh, I'll look it up. Pele? Here while Pele? Is it Pele? Uh, yes. familiar yep. to you? Okay. Yeah, uh, Pele's character, you don't even really know his motives um, outside bringing them and. And also the characters become such caricatures of themselves within this community that it's a little bit hard to like, when Poulter dies, you're like, oh, well, good riddance. He is like the iconic American who is an asshole, totally knows he's an asshole, and is mostly um, uh, supposed to kind of show you that Christian is also an asshole, but is totally oblivious to him being an asshole. Right. And, but, so I think these like little caricatures that aren't, also fleshed out and you don't get like the people of this community to be fleshed out and i think while it's very ambitious to have your main character depressed through the movie you also then kind of lose that sense of urgency and sense of desire and want because she is a black hole essentially of a character and it's hard and it's good and i think he kind of overcomes it a little bit but not to the extent to where you feel really really invested in all of these characters and wanting them to survive in this film no no certainly not but like the but the one thing i one thing i guess i i will give credit or at least 
leeway to believing that she, you know, made the decision that she did at the end is like, like it, it does seem it certainly seems a more welcoming like community like for for women, for females. Um, at least that's that's uh, I, I could be completely misreading that but at least that's just like with their sort of um festivities seemed uh like that uh couple that with the the phallic imagery but the vaginal phallic imagery throughout the movie um which i've never really seen because most anytime there's like a phallus in a horror movie it's usually uh it's usually like a stand in for a, a penis essentially like a slasher movie it's usually the knife the penetration blah 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 but like the overhead shot of their table and like you know has the diamond shape the there's like diamond shape on the triangle house um i don't know i just i i found that uh fascinating because i've never seen that really done in a horror movie and um maybe maybe it has been but i've never really picked up on it i did enjoy that too and i i, I think you're right for the most part i think that there have been a lot of like I mean, when you look at Alien, <laughs> there's a lot of vaginal imagery in those oh, films. Oh, sure. But I, I think it's done incredibly well. What I think this movie is, it is super gorgeous. And I think the production uh, art designer of the whole, of the film, had, is an exquisite eye. Yes. Uh, I should look up who that is so we can give credit to them. But, like, the... I think that makes the movie to me is the, the look of it, the, the attention to detail, um, every little bit of detail. Uh, one of the other things I really appreciated about the movie is like, there's multiple scenes. There's multiple like drug scenes, drug trip, whether it is unbeknownst to them or willingly. And most of those movies, there's just like these insane visuals to, show that and this one was like i i like how kind of muted it is that it's just these little like wavy almost heat lines in the background um obscuring their view and it's like oh that's more much more accurate and much more subdued and like i appreciated that that they didn't go into these like crazy like drug trip visuals or uh you know something like that right um i actually agree i thought that the drug trips were really exquisitely done outside the fact that I do think the last one lasts so long to the extent where the effect because of its subtlety gets a little bit obnoxious not obnoxious oh, in sure. a sense but like more like okay yeah her flower that same flower keeps pulsating and it's distracting me at this point now but right <laughs> but and by the way the production designer was Henrik Svensson Oh yes, I just I just pulled that up. Yeah, but you beat me to it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and cinematographer by Powell Pogorzelski, who, as I learned on this podcast, which by the way, if you want to listen to this podcast, uh, it's mostly an interview with Ari Aster. It's on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the Big Picture. Um, really good interview. I learned a lot. Uh, the cinematographer he's known since college, and they are very good friends, and he almost calls him his best friend which is a little bit cute but uh -oh. i think that that is something that i think ari aster's films really thrive in and uh, even if his scripts are good they elevate them to an extent because he his cinematographer paired with him have such a unique and wonderful eye absolutely like i that's that's the other big thing i've taken away from like these last two movies is just how how particular they are with put like with the frame and showing you just enough that you need to see um to get you through the movie and just like how beautiful it is and the stillness like i i appreciate that i um like th this is the type like the type of horror movie i guess i wish more people would do um i'm not gonna say the term that we all hate um, we know it. I'm not, I'm not going to say it because it's all horror to me, but this sort of like art house horror is just what I go for more. And I like, I like what Ari Aster is doing. Um, 
and what a cinematographer is doing. Even if this one just didn't quite hit as much, I, I still, I still really love what they're doing. And I know we call it art house horror now, but to me, it almost just feels like a throwback to what horror used to be before slasher films came in and kind of destroyed what an audience expects a horror movie to be. And not saying that slasher films are bad. I love slasher films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a extremely influenced, an influence, an extremely an influence for Midsommar. Um, I love Nightmare on Elm Street and all those films, but I feel like those films, there was some type of break within the horror um, fandom. And I think a lot of people who grew up on horror that are about our age or millennials don't ever think of horror much earlier than that. So where like when Midsommar reminds me of the Wicker Man, I feel like that was in a time that was right when the slasher was coming out and kind of like a drama and another type of film, but also horror because a lot of stuff is going around and Midsommar also kind of has slasher tendencies to it, but then you don't get the slasher actually aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Which is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. really. Cause like that movie's not, I mean, Leatherface is iconic, but like, it's not, really like it's not really a slasher by the usual conventions of a slasher movie right and even then i would say that slashers kind of broke that with people the 90s was a little bit of a gap except for the late 90s when you have the slasher sort of pseudo comedies but then the 2000s just kind of wrecked what a horror movie should look like to people and the studios kept turning out really cheap movies that weren't well written weren't well shot weren't well directed um, for the most part, you have, like, your oddities, like The Ring being a gorgeous and stunning horror film, and a remake even, but then you have, like, all of these remakes of those said slashers, like, coming to, like, mm-hmm. light, and I think that when we talk about art house horror, I think a lot of people just forget that horror movies used to be cinematic and narrative-driven. Yes. No, you're you're 100 percent right. That's 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 what it is. It's not that it's art house horror. It's just like these are the type of horror movies that used to be made. And like we we talked about that. We talked about that a little bit back in October on your podcast on No Excuses. We talked about House of the Devil and how like that movie sort of ushered in this era of like not necessarily I mean, not. House of the Devil is a period piece and not all these movies are, but like hearkening back to like, oh, these are what horror movies once were and what they can be again. And I feel like we've seen, um, you know, quite frequently over the years, uh, thanks to A24, actually, for a lot of them between Hereditary and The Witch, um, Midsummer, But and um, but yeah, these are just how these movies used to be. Um, And I if I don't I don't lend a lot of. you know, credit to cinema score, but this movie did receive a higher cinema score among audiences than hereditary did. So if that's any indication, maybe the audiences are being reconditioned and recalibrated to accepting and, and watching these type of horror movies with that eye. It's just taking a little bit of time. Yeah. Uh, Or maybe the audiences love Florence Pugh when they see her star power. That could be too, or 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 is is as much as I don't think this movie is as tight or strong as Hereditary. It's as I mentioned earlier, it's not as it's bleak, but it's not as like somber as that movie is. So I I think I I understand to some extent. Um, you know, no, a young girl doesn't get decapitated by a telephone pole. I guess is what. I'm trying to say in this movie so uh so i guess i could understand that to some extent yeah um yeah but outside that is there anything else you wanted to say about the film uh i think i've said my piece um in that i i think the movie's solid overall um you know worth watching i'd recommend it to just about anybody unless you're in a bad spot in your relationship in which maybe you know maybe consider (laughs) reconsider but uh other than that i would recommend it to just about anybody um but it's you know there there are things about it that don't quite click and i feel like you and i uh you know unpacked a lot and kind of laid down what ultimately doesn't work but still makes a, a a worthwhile viewing experience yeah i agree and i 
I definitely, on top of you, like, agree. I would never, like, tell anyone to not see this movie because I actually think it's really good. Not really good. I think it's it's great. Ugh. It's so hard when you're, like, straddling that line of, like, fine and great. I think it's a solid, it's solid. good movie. And I think Florence Pugh is excellent in it. I think the cinematography is stunning. I think that Ari Aster clearly is a good director. Um, I do think that there is something this year that a lot of people, and I've noticed this kind of, like, sort of backlash, not just art with Ari Aster, but also with Jordan Peele's uh, new film, Us, where a lot of these second films aren't necessarily reaching the high expectations that people have kind of unfairly pushed on a second feature from these like first time horror directors. And I, I don't think that should be discouraging to either directors or like the audiences to go see these movies. Like when people are critiquing something and I loved us a lot more than a lot of, a lot of people did. I loved it. And it's all it's messiness. Cause I had this kind of, I have such a soft spot for home invasion films. But um, I feel like these are worth still seeing so we can, so these directors can get back to what you liked about their first films. And yes, their second features are a little bit more messy than their firsts, but that doesn't make them any less good. It's kind of a roundabout way of saying that. No, I 100% I agree. Um, and also like, that's like another greater conversation is like, you know, we do we put these unfair expectations on these filmmakers when they like make such a splash and then and, and then like also kind of crucify if they don't do exactly the same thing that they did the first time out because they shouldn't like that's the thing even if it doesn't work these filmmakers should absolutely be going and trying to you know hone their craft and explore their voice and um and us is a great comparison i mean i think i mean us was certainly still very well received um just not at quite as much as get out did and i actually just rewatched that on the plane uh earlier today um just like a bit of a sidebar and it was my third time watching it and and it's gotten better each viewing um i think my only thing is 100 minutes of it is the best one of the best movies of the year but it runs for 116 minutes that's my only <laughs> like complaint about us but uh no i think uh these filmmakers should 100% be allowed to go off and do something like they their first film bought them the chance to do it and even if it doesn't quite succeed these filmmakers are so talented and interesting in their own right that it's worth it to watch them roll the dice so that's that's what i would say about that yeah and i think it's incredibly telling that these both these directors but specifically in this case ari aster because we're discussing his film did make a great a good film after his pretty excellent film Agreed. Yeah. No, that's the thing. It's like, is it is it bad that the film is like just merely good? No. And people should see it. Um, so that's 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 my piece on Midsummer. Do you have any other follow up before we wrap this up? Uh, Florence Pugh should be in every movie. All right. Well, that. <laughs> oh, yes. A hundred percent. She's she's fantastic. Um and I haven't really seen her in anything. I still haven't seen um, Lady Macbeth or Fighting with My Family, so I should probably go rectify that. Fighting with My Family is fine. She is super great in it. Lady Macbeth is great. I love that movie, and I think you would like it too. It's super creepy and twisty. I, I'm, I wanted to see it when it came out, and I just never made time, but I will I will make the time to, to watch it. I mean, it fits in that Phantom Thread, like genre i think you would really dig it all right i i'm sold immediately so i will go back and rectify that but yeah midsummer we both recommend it we're just not you know calling it a masterpiece and that's okay um all right well let's wrap up this uh second episode of this course it's weird to call it something a second because you've been on playlist podcast so many times jenny that it's like oh it's only the second episode but even though you've been here a lot but but since we have rebanded this is technically the second episode jenny thank you for logging on and chatting with me where can people find more of you on the internet well you can find me on twitter at jenny lee l-e-i-g-h x-3-3 and that username it's also my letterboxed one so if you wanted to find me on there i write really quippy reviews sometimes sometimes 
Yes, and they are fun to to read, and they only take about a second to read because they're <laughs> quippy and one sentence long, usually, or merely an emoji, which I think you've done before. Oh, I've done emoji uh, reviews. One of my most popular <laughs> reviews is an emoji review. <laughs> I actually think I know which one that is. Is that Ingrid Goes West? No, but I think I did do an emoji review for that one, mainly because we had to. But it's yes. uh, Destroyer. Oh, I'll have to go back and look at that. I don't recall uh, that. So I will check that out. You guys should check that out as well. You can find me mostly here at the playlist. You can follow me on Twitter at R-Y-O-L-L-I-E-90. That's right, Ollie90. Um, like Jenny, that is also my letterbox name. So you can find me on there. Um one last plug, the Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, so if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it Stitcher, be it iTunes, be it Spotify, which we are now on. Uh, so if you enjoy this show, be sure to check out our other shows on the network, including Adjust Your Tracking, Be Real, Indie Beat, and the various interviews that we have popping on the feed from time to time. But that will wrap this episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. 